that exists now uh, in the world, really. It is an international uh, platform. What you'll find is that as you try to achieve living community or living building, part of your work will be to uh, advocate for changing codes and things like that. This is one of the most beautiful things about the system, is that they like to use metaphors and really open our minds to think about things. Try to think of the, of the um, city as a forest. What does a forest do? It generates its own energy. It captures and treats its own water. It operates very efficiently and, and um, uses all that it wastes, all the waste that's been regenerated as a food for the forest. It's symbiotic in the sense that it can uh, have an interrelation uh, behavior. And it is beautiful. There is a, a need these days to fight visual pollution as well as ecological pollution. Nature is beautiful. Why can't what we build and work with be beautiful too? Why is it a challenge? Because it is hard. It is not that easy, but it doesn't have to be hard if people are united in purpose. Um, we have to see beyond the norm right now. I just attended a conference where a member who worked with the United Nations for the um, IPCC, United Nations Climate, and it's not a pretty picture. I mean, there's going to be a big meeting in Paris next month, and they're going to be debating over two degrees Celsius. In the meantime, the sea is expected to rise seven meters, and it's irreversible. So we don't have time to dither and hither about this thing. We need to really unite and start doing what we know is right. Um, this also is a really nice system in that it, it, it's uh, rewarding the early adopters. So there are over 300 living building uh, projects throughout the world now. Just like the U.S. Green Building took off, so is the living building taking off. There are four cities that have adopted it as a, for certification in six pilot, uh, pilot cities. So it's moving. And we have to stir the pot. I, that's one thing I like about the CEO of this organization, Jason McClellan. He likes being kind of a troublemaker and a bad boy and all that stuff. But of course, he's a really inspirational speaker, actually. But he is not afraid of being branded as a crazy or anything like that because he has the vision. He's seen it. And that's kind of how I feel too. It's that I don't really care what people think because I, I have trained myself and I've seen what we could do. I really believe in my heart that we could live in harmony with nature without polluting it. And that's what I want to go to my grave saying I tried to do is, is to illustrate that. So this is a simple chart that the Institute likes to use, and it's one of those things is that we have to quit just doing less bad, which is kind of what has happened with the Green Movement, and it's starting to get kick-started again. But just doing 
uh, less bad and it's leading to kind of a greenwashing by developers, things like that, why don't we go into regeneration, the healing mode, where our bodies actually do. If we have a cut on our finger, it's regenerating when it heals back. That's what we need to do with the earth. We have to show what good looks like. Unfortunately, there's some really great examples coming online, and I'll show them to you in a bit. It's, it's just more than doing less harm. Uh, what this is doing is laying out a new model of community building and a new model of urban design. The old paradigms of, this, of uh, de design and planning do not stand anymore. Uh, what you're going to find out is that they're saying, no more building on prime farmland. And what is happening in Davis right now? There's a proposal for a 200-acre-plus, quote, innovation center that's not actually innovative on prime farmland when it's not needed because a in-depth study of infill opportunities has not been done. There's plenty of locations to do the densification needed and new, new buildings in Davis without going on that, that farm. And why? Because we are 7 billion people and growing. And the population is not changing. We have other issues where our soils aren't working correctly because of pollution and different things. To grow food and have enough for everybody, we need to save our land. We can't just pepper urban, suburban landscapes all over the place <coughs> and expect to survive. So another thing is that why not do something different? I was just in Italy, and in Milan, Italy, which is a big, bustling city, Corso Garibaldi, a four-lane major road right in the center by one of the train stations, was decarred. They closed it off and made it pedestrian only. And it was, since it was four-lane, it was great. So all the, the shops and everything on the side were basically retail and restaurants. And then in the center, they put tables with chairs and umbrellas and made it for pedestrian and bikes. Why can't we do it, too? In fact, Davis, if you ask me, is perfect with the dinky little downtown that there is. Why not just decar it? And we could have ways to zip the old people around if they can't walk or something. But it only takes 20 minutes to walk the whole downtown of Davis. It would up the game and put us on the map. I, I feel like it's just perfect. And there's a lot of other things that I think are just right in Davis to take this challenge because they've already got some of the things going. Um, just to go through the petals again, this is an introduction, an overview, but these are the areas that are looked at. Place. Uh, basically, this is a healthy coexistence with nature. That's the basic uh, thing. Water. Creating water independence for sites and for individual buildings. Uh, energy. Rely on solar, wind, and other renewables. Uh, health and happiness. Maximize physical and mental health and well-being. I'll go into why, you know, working with nature is actually something that's healthy for you. Um, endorsing clean materials, 
and, and products that are safe through time in their whole life cycle, too. We can't keep throwing toxins into landfills because what happens to landfills? They leach into soil and water. Um, equity is about supporting just and an equitable world. And then beauty, plants and designs that pr promote transformative change. Uh, actually, there are three main platforms now that the Living Future works with. There's the Living Building Challenge, which is for individual buildings. There's the Living Community Challenge at any scale of, of town or city. And there's the Living Product Challenge, which just launched uh, in Philadelphia this year. And there's some great people, even in our own state, uh, one of the visionaries that I did was bring who I consider a saint to Sacramento to share her story, Arlene Bloom at Berkeley, who was responsible for getting the flame retardants out of kids' pajamas and now out of furniture. And she's still working like crazy to try to get it out of building materials and out of our cars and other things like that. The toxins that are, that are put in, they don't even retard flame. That's what bugs me. <laughs> so, um, I never did buy those pajamas for my son. I, they were so crispy, I that creepy. I never did think. <laughs> so he was not stylishly dressed for bread. He just had a t-shirt. Um, there are imperatives with, within all those, and I'll go through them when I go through that. This is the Living Transect, which you might know about this because it was developed uh, back in the uh, 1990s by the new urbanists. Some, of those, some things have been borrowed from this, but some things have not. Uh, for instance, um, suburban transept is removed because we're trying to fight sprawl. There's no need for sprawl, and sprawl is not sustainable. Because it forces people to drive long distance, and, you know, it's that whole thing. Um, the requirements are scaled and they become more rigid as the density increases. So if you have a dinky little town out in the country, well, they're not going to have such a hard time becoming a living community, right? And Davis is sort of a medium size. We can do it. You know, but it's going to be harder for San Francisco and LA and New York. But they're doing it in neighborhoods. Some some people work in DC. They're starting to just work with a, a plot, Seattle. They're they're starting with pieces as they can. Um, a lot of things in the Living Building Challenge are similar. So that was what was launched first, and I've been an ambassador for that for several years. Uh, as time went on, they started realizing there was a lot of things that could be applied to the community. The difference is that um, Living Building Challenge works with place among the, uh, at the building site, where this becomes more connected and used to the community and the social issues and, and outside the entire region. Um, Living building looks like a single building within the, the town. And believe me, when they're built within those towns, they get a lot of press. The Bullet Center in um, Seattle was the, one of the first uh, commercial 
Six-story office building, so it's a living building. Six floors of compost and toilets. Net zero energy in the town that doesn't have any sun. <laughs> and all on-site water. I mean, I always say that first because people say, well, they get a lot of rain up there, they can do the water. Actually, no. Washington also was relying on uh, snow melt. So they are in, uh, not as bad off as California, but they're, they have issues too. They, um, stated that they're in an emergency situation. Anyway, back to the Bullet Center. How many six-story office buildings do you have uh, a line, uh, you know, 100 blocks long of people in line coming to see it? Only a living building. Challenge is not just a group of living buildings. It encourages integrated systems. We can get into what is called scale jumping, but they're really promoting sharing things. Like if one site in a city, and there's one site that's optimal for sun, and they could put the photovoltaics on, well, why not share that power with some of the buildings that are in the shade? <coughs> And the same with urban agriculture. It's already starting that kind of sharing. And the same with water. If one has a better place to do the storage than when it's distributed for their landscaping or something, then, then share it. This is the kind of idea that uh, it's encouraging. What I like about the living, these, these programs, is that they're frameworks that we need to work with in our communities. We don't have to get identified with somebody telling us what to do. No, we just have a framework to put our own creative genius into it and find the ways that we can work with these philosophies. That's what's so beautiful about it. That's why I think it would be came up for um, Davis to adopt it as an uh, ordinance and then have the university feed into it using it as a living lab with all the talent that's over here. How fun would that be? I mean, it could really inform, and, and that's hands-on learning. That's actually sometimes better than book learning. Because mm -hmm. we'll be breaking new ground. So this just shows how it could work. You could have a few of them be the living buildings and the others be the older buildings and still achieve. Um, it's just trying to think about it differently. And... Um, Having that the energy of the entire community achieves net zero. It's, it's known that not every building can do it, but you can, once you start interconnecting and, and planning your, your situation, there's a, for instance, there's a 600-unit um, uh, affordable housing project in Woodland done by um, Mutual Homes. It's achieved Department of Energy certification as net zero energy. And they're doing just that. They, they can average it out. And they're also changing, teaching the people that live there. They're doing behavior change uh, education with a little red, blue, and green, or red, yellow, and green light that kind of teaches them oh, what's in red. Maybe they like turn some lights off. You know, that kind of thing. Yes? Do you know the name of that? Uh, it's um, Mutual Homes at Spring Lake. It's on Farmer Central Road. And they do um, look for interns who want to work with them. And that's some students there. 
Um, also, if people are shy about it, you could do, you could take on the full challenge, the full certification <coughs> challenge, or you could just do pedal challenges. So, if people were shy about doing it, you could just do the net zero energy. And wouldn't that be smart in California because our governor is going for that. He's made for all um, residential, it's already in place that it's going to be uh, mandated for 2020. So any uh, progressive owner or developer should be planning on doing net zero now. Uh, their buildings are going to be passe. And by the way, old buildings that are done in the uh, business as usual way, it's really sad to be doing that right now because they get locked in like that. And it's much more expensive and, and problematic to go back in and retrofit them later. So again, that's one thing about the relationship part of what I do, is try to get everybody on the same page at the beginning with the goals when you do that. Uh, it doesn't cost more, it doesn't take more time, and you achieve true innovation. That's what happened at GSM. So he's now come back from his preliminary talks in uh, Paris with new 50-50-50. Have you heard about that in California? 50% reduction of this particular... Of course, the uh, fossil fuels pulled out the guns and did a... Uh, huge, you know, billion dollar thing about energy to try to stop that. But he's going to go other routes and try to get it. Yeah. Um, does this building um, certification, do you only do it on new buildings? Or no, there's been uh, retrofits of old buildings that have received a living building. In fact, there's an architectural firm in Sacramento that's renovating an old, really old building in, uh, like, on, uh, like around 19th and R, and they're going living building. Um, here's why I think it's good for Davis, too, is that once you sign on that you're going to take this challenge, um, then you have these steps to do, and one is to register your master plan for your city. That's something that's happening right now, that there's just sort of this open door for developers to come in and plump down some six-story buildings here and there. Six-story blocks views, sunlight, and wind from other people. It has to be studied. Yes, densification is what is desired, but there needs to be a master plan for that. Because if you do it haphazard, you cause problems. And in fact, there's some neighborhoods that are upset about a a proposal for a six-story over on the east side, where they have all these nice little bungalows and beautiful houses, and they're just going to stick this six-story status quo design LA building right on the corner there. It, it doesn't have continuity. It doesn't have architectural or planning continuity, and this is what bothers me a little bit, and that's what I would like to have this as an ordinance where then it could work in, in hand with the Davis General Plan, which is actually pretty progressive. It's just not being followed right now. So it would cause a way to have a legal way to enforce good planning. This just shows how it's growing. Uh, it's got a global, global reach. Um, 
because um, there's some of the buildings are quite beautiful, and I'll show you some of them at the end. Um, it is forcing people to think about the highest aspirations, yet it is based on results. So, for instance, that bullet center did not actually get its certification until it had gone one year and with the utility bills verified that it's actually net zero energy. So it's not based on modeled results, which has led to a lot of the greenwashing in our industry. It has to be an actual. And that's something actually I found out that Mutual Homes is doing right now. They did get it from DOE, but I don't know if they're... So they're starting to study it. And there's some tweaking that has to happen when you do a big complex like that. So what? I mean, it's a learning curve. That's what we need to try to do. The thing is that they, they tried. And they did a, a very good trial. Now we'll go through the pedals. Uh, as I said, the pedal, that's the thing is that analogy of the, of the connected to the forest. And so the, the petals of a flower also are the way to propagate the information when the leaves fall up and they spread the seeds. So that's the idea of the pedal. The limits to, to growth. Um, you cannot build on farm farmland. That you will uh, enact. This is the reason. Uh, we can't keep building on intact ecosystems. In fact, another challenge I would like to make in this area is to restore the Putah Creek watershed. The Putah Creek watershed would be, be such an incredible statement globally to do. And you know what? It's also the smartest thing to do because we are at risk right now for really serious flooding. What do watersheds do besides maintain diversity with the animals and insects that we need in our world? They filter the water to clean it to go back down into the aquifers and they also mitigate the flood. So we should say no more development on anything that's in the range of the Kutah watershed. Which I hate to say it, but Nishi is kind of it looks to me like it's part of that system, but I'm not going to go there. Um, look at the arboretum right now. Discovery with algae. Very silent over there. Why not get that moving again? Why not connect that back up to the bigger system and get it moving driving? And show people that we care. You know, they've done that in certain cities. Vancouver, uh, BC, they've been through that. They restored False Creek in Vancouver. It was a really ugly uh, urban creek that came through the town with concrete embankments and all this stuff. And they highly different. I don't get restored. So they did. It took a while, but they had the passion and they did it. And, and it's, now it's beautiful. And they were so surprised. They didn't even expect it. And the family came back. There were some really emotional moments on that. So, 
in, a, in remote, because this is international, it talks about people that are in different countries and what they can do if they have uh, kind of gray fields and that kind of thing. Um, they're just talking a lot, a lot about balance um, and, the, and the boundaries. In certain developing countries, they can build on a green land, but it, it, it needs to be analyzed. So this is one of the parameters that they're saying is that um, on a green field, you could only build on it if 75% of the uh, development site is surrounded by developed land. Well, Mace is not. In fact, Mace Boulevard makes a nice little boundary for the city. And it would be nice to keep that though. Urban agriculture, uh, this is just to foster this more human connection with food, a direct connection, and these days, to be frank with you, it's better to grow your own food so you're assured that it's real and that it has nutrition because there's so much manipulating with the food. Uh, it's also this uh, uh, helps to build this connection with nature that's needed. It's trying to promote a one-to-one -one connection with food production, and it's trying to have food come from closer to where we eat it. So not eating food that is shipped long distances, because that creates a carbon footprint. This is just an example of what was done in uh, San Francisco. It's called Graze the Roof. And it's an open, uh, open to the community. So people can actually go up there and, and get paid. Again, it builds that kind of um, sharing. It's made from milk crates. It has a worm composting system and an ed educational mural. So art is incorporated in with it. Then another thing the Institute is saying is that <coughs> we are busy willy-nilly building habitat for people. We also need to build habitat and respect for other living beings. And unless we want to have, there's so many species dying on a daily basis, it's heartbreaking. This, the uh, Institute also has a way to um, work with land trust if you absolutely have to build on it and set aside some of the land. So, it's really a, a major push to So human power, um, designed for people, not cars. That's the new thing. Well, of course, we still have some parts of, of the old cities of Europe that exist, and what do we like about them? You know, it's so nice to walk in downtown Milan, around the Galleria and the, and the Duomo and everything, because there's not cars buzzing around all over the place. Or Paris, or all these other places. Why not do that same thing here? I've taught, I've actually taught a lot of Europeans how to drive. <laughs> because they didn't need to. And that's one thing I love about my trip recently. I did everything with public transportation. 
and it was wonderful. And it's nice to see people in public transportation. You see the kids going to school, you see the people working, you see the old. It's so nice. It's so civil. But no, we have to be, is it free? Is it really so free to sit in a car and go 8.5 miles an hour? And good luck? Is that freedom? No, we need to start a movement to end the gridlock, and it's happening right before our eyes right now. And L.A. is at number, one of the number one in the country. San Francisco is, oh, I just went to Palo Alto. Four hours to come back on a Friday night. Uh, it was just painful. And Sacramento, right out in front of us,
You can go anywhere, just in a nanosecond, step on and go. And it's not too bad in Europe either. This is a, something that was done in Bogota. See, a lot of times it's just the leadership. <clears throat> so the leadership there um, recognized the impact on uh, the city. And this is in Cicleroutus uh, in um, where is Bogota, Colombia. It's the most comprehensive bike path network in the world. And they are now estimating that 300 to 400 trips are made daily by bicycle there. And they found out that there's been a five-fold increase in people riding bikes from when they first started. And they did it by taking actual roads in the city and decarring them and turning them into bikes. Can we do that here? Why not? What's the risk? What's the risk in riding, driving around the block 15 times to find a parking place in Davis? You know, really, couldn't you just park on the outskirts and walk the rest of the way and ride your bike? Okay, water is um, the key principle here is that water is a precious, precious resource. <coughs> I can do a, another presentation if you want to about uh, the sacred nature of water. With uh, things from Leonardo da Vinci and things like that too, if you want me to. Here's the thing. When we start talking about water, people first thing, they go, oh, on-site recycling? Oh my god, we can't do that. Well, they push you to think about it this way. What about in the old days, when everything was from wells and just straight to your house, and then we didn't have all the population and everything, and somebody came to you and said, oh, we're going to put in all these pipes, and we're going to pipe the water long distances. You can have all the water you want right out of the tap. Wouldn't they have said, oh my god, you must be crazy? Well, guess what we've done? We have done that. We have basically created this system. Whoever thought that it was such a great idea to take the snow melt from Shasta and pipe it all the way down to LA to build a mega metropolis city in the desert. You know, now we're paying for that. And what happens to that water on the way? It leaks, it evaporates, it does all kinds of stuff. And so the net amount is just wasteful. And what about all the storm drains? What a clever idea it would have been if we just had all our sidewalks tipped the other way a little bit. And let the water go onto the land so it could go back down. Why is it going into a drain, completely potable water, to then be sent to the ocean? Then there's all the other things. Why are we using potable water to flush our toilets? Why are we, you know, all these questions are coming up. Well, I'm just going to say that this is what's happening in San Francisco. They are more enlightened for some reason. But maybe it's the, the population base, maybe it's living in a beautiful place. I don't know. But they like to get into things deeper. And so these are high rises that are now circulating their their water on site, showing it can be done. There's a, at the new transportation building, that high rise, it's a, they have a living machine at the base of the, in the sidewalk there, at the base of the sidewalk. 
it, it's not that hard to do. We can even perhaps use some of the pipes that are still there. Um, we have to look at water differently. Um, we have to look at it with that kind of respect. Just think about <coughs> how much water do you really need to wash your fingers off when you have a few crumbs on? Really? Do you need to pull it, turn it on full blast? You know how many billions of water can be saved? Gallons of water just by turning it off while you're brushing your teeth? There's a training thing that goes in. Now, as students, I'm going to have to say, how long do you take your showers? How long do you let the water run before the water gets hot? You know, do you have timers in your dorms? Do you have... Well, it's going to get there, so you ought to start thinking about it now, because all this stuff's going to be mandated very soon. Anyway, what I've noticed is that if you put your heart into it, I'm doing it myself, so I'm walking the top. I haven't changed anything over yet, but I collect the warm water in the shower, take it downstairs, use that to soak the dishes before I put them in the dishwasher. I, I've gotten it down to less than three minutes for the shower. Because you can, well, not in the winter, but in the summer, you can actually do kind of a cold shower and soap up. I think you're cleaner, actually, because you soap up first and then all you need to do is rinse off. You know, I experiment with all those things. And I like it, because it's more connected with water. <coughs> Here in that bucket down the stairs, I understand the value of it. I collected a lot of water in that last rain. It blew my mind. I'm going to use that to save a tree in my backyard. So these are the three different systems that we have, and we just need to think about them in a new way. Again, this is something that was done in San Francisco, a pilot crop. They did the blue-green streets. So they um, changed it to be decarred, and then on the part that would have been the bike trail, of course, with no cars on the other street became the bike <coughs> trail, they turned it into a rain uh, garden and a way to infiltrate the grain. And it makes more of a park-like strip in that little neighborhood, too. So. What does it do? It, it provides beauty in an otherwise drab neighborhood. So I just see these things as easy, relatively easy things to do that are also beautiful. Energy, we're just, they're calling for 105% renewable, so that you actually produce more than you use. It's saying um, 105 on-site renewable. It can be with photovoltaics, passive solar, solar thermal systems, wind turbines, water-powered microturbines, or geothermal technologies. It can't be anything that's combustible. So no car buses, no boilers, no nuclear. And I'd love to tell you about Passive House. I will just say this, that Passive House is... As an architect, I think it's a really great thing, movement in um, Germany. Did any of you go see the uh, This Changes Everything Now movie that was at the Veterans Memorial recently? Do you remember how they were talking about in Germany that it was the cities that started doing their own thing instead of it being a... I always thought that they elected somebody on the Green Party. Anyway, they're taking off because city by city they create. Why don't we do that here too? Cities could sh sh show the way. 
Passive House is soon to be mandated in Europe. Why? Because they found out that it's um, two th three things. One is that air conditioning is one of the worst polluters. So that we want to actually stop using air conditioning worldwide. It's a nasty polluter. And there's ways to cool buildings without doing that, non-mechanical ways. Number two is that we're trying to get away from mechanical heating and cooling. And you can do that if you have a very well-insulated envelope. So everything that's the outer part of a building that's well-insulated and airtight. Then you just put a little bit of photovoltaic to run your gizmos in there and maybe a little something to take the edge off if it gets really cold. But they're doing it in much more frigid areas than we have here. In fact, I brought this guy from uh, Norway here to give a presentation on this, and he just said it's a no-brainer. They have the three-pane window. You know, it's, it's 30 below where this girl's sitting, and she's in a passive house. So they heated the house with the sun shining through the window in a well-insulated house. These houses are so well-insulated, you use the heat from your body, your computer, your refrigerator, all that gets counted in. Isn't it incredible? I love it because it's ancient and modern. All the physics have been figured out for it and everything. We could do that here. This is why it's important, is that, and this is why I, as an architect, am stepping up, and I'm trying to influence my industry, too, that um, buildings are the worst polluters, by far. This is a study that was done on what if you went living building. Health and happiness is, um, again, I think I've kind of talked about that right now, but people are happier when they're closer to nature, when they have an opportunity to be outside. And you're probably dying to go out on this beautiful day here instead of being in this classroom. But this is just um, talking about waste. By the way, there's a group that's trying to start a uh, restore in Davis. And have, uh, instead of demoing buildings, we deconstruct them and then use the building materials. There's people that, uh, there's a guy that I know in Davis that has gone out to the landfill and, and found brand new doors that haven't even been touched, uh, seven foot solid wood doors. No, throw away. This is just showing what can happen for happiness. You know, you have a, a nice garden outside for in schools and the kids love to make um, Healthy neighborhood design. There's just different concepts that can go. I want to show you some. This is one of the things that um, Jason, the, the founder of Living Building and Living Community, says, why don't we have child-centered planning patterns? Make everything that would be fun for a kid and then it'll work for everybody else. Well, it turns out that we're a bunch of kids, too, so we like it, too. It's a great idea. And it's a really, you know, thoughtful way of thinking about it. Then the biophilic environment, one of the things I did was uh, watch for this while I was in Europe, and, you know, the designers of old definitely used this. They 
they definitely had the, the elements of texture and, and design and beauty in their buildings. Even their designs with the little flowers and, and vines around for their motifs. It's fantastic. This is based on the work of um, E.O. Wilson, uh, termed the, the term biophilia, and Stephen Keller, the K, is a social eco ecologist that did these six elements of biophilic design. That should definitely be part of your program if you're going to do anything. This is just showing an American setting, but what is happening here is that in this space, is kind of like a forest, although it's you know a store. But the dappled light that comes in is like the light that comes through the leaves of a tree, trees and forests. These are seen as the things that bring joy to people. And you do have enough light, and it makes it so it's not so hot in there, but you can still see. So this is the kind of thing that we're uh, resiliency, I talked about that. Well, this gives some really great um, guides for doing that, and I'm, I'm going to talk to Rob Davis about this because he mentioned that in the meeting. There's some really serious things that we need to think about in our area to have resilient communities. I spoke about the materials before. I could do a whole thing on that. Um, we need to detoxify our world. Uh, there can be a plan and how to do it. What the program uh, that the Institute has developed is called DECLARE. And guess what? Uh, quite a few organizations have uh, come on with this. Uh, I love the sustainability lady that works for Mohawk Carpet because she uh, went into her boss and she thought she was going to get inspired to propose this, but she didn't. And Mohawk has now taken out of 90% of their uh, products, the uh, nasties, and guess what? They're on fire. They're, there's might in right. We need to get that kind of a thing going instead of being like Volkswagen and seeing what you can get away with. And was it such a smart idea for what they're going to pay for now? Mm -hmm. uh, this is just uh, talking about how far away we get things. The embodied footprint, I think you get that. The net positive gets in. This is an interesting uh, thing in um, Sweden. They got rid of the trash uh, machines and that by having these vacuums. You just take your trash as you walk along, go out in the garden and vacuum it away. It's a pretty cool idea. Equity is just trying to have an equitable world, humane spaces that work for people. We, they have to go into this because they're international. We have a pretty good system with ADA and some of the things that we're doing, but we can make it better, but they have to do it. But here, there's the streets for people. Isn't that really nice? Why not turn all the alleys in Davis into something beautiful? Then they won't be creepy enough that bad things happen there. Access to nature. There's a case in um, California where some rich guy uh, threw a fit because someone was on his beach. Fortunately, it didn't hold up. Rewilding access to services. I wanted to get to show you. They even get into uh, organizations that are fair with paying the women the same amount, that they're fair with other genders, uh, uh, diversity. 
and other sexual preference. The beauty and spirit, that's what could happen if we do it here in Davis, is that we would also use it as an educational tool. So we would work with show perpetuating that. This just shows how stormwater was used as a public art. So that's how they collected their water, with these perky things. Another idea if you do a project is to have a, an event around it and have art, like paint the sidewalks with it. So here's a, some of the buildings that have been wrapping up. Just run through them really quick. We're doing partnerships. You can be accredited which I am. You can be an ambassador, speak to me, I'll train you. We have a group in Sacramento, but we have a human business too. This is just saying we're all advocates for a living future, right? And there's gonna be a big conference in um, Seattle next year, and they're really fun. They call them unconferences. Um, the only thing, other thing I wanted to say is that on March 3rd, I'm bringing um, James Workman. He's a journalist. His business book, The Heart of Dryness, he lived with the Bushmen in Africa. And it's a fabulous book. It um, correlates what happened to the Bushmen to different things that have happened. He's going to be doing this talk specifically about California. I've, I've been doing this program for some time, and um, we have, uh, we're doing it at the Crocker Art Museum. Okay. So why don't we just season ahead? Thanks.